Well, amen. Here we are. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. And we'll read down to verse through verse 26. They came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes, And laying his hands upon him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I am seeing them like trees walking about. Then again he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. We've been looking at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ and so far we've considered only miracles out of the Gospel of John and that's that's fitting because John particularly chose those miracles to as signs to illustrate the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to point us to him but this one here um, is in the Gospel of Mark and it is found only in the Gospel of Mark. And in one way, you might say that it's not a very important miracle. If you think of some of the miracles, Jesus uh, walking on water and uh, uh, casting the demons out of the demoniac with a word and such things as that. Um, But the fact is, every, every miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded in Scripture is important. And so here in the Gospel of Mark, and I love this about Mark, don't you, that sometimes there's some gem hidden there that you don't find in any other Gospel. And there's nothing like it. And the Holy Spirit had very special reasons for including each one of these accounts in the Gospels. Uh, It's a very special miracle in that it is the only miracle in any of the four Gospels where the Lord Jesus healed by stages. That in itself makes it important, but there's much more here I I trust we'll see. So let's go through these verses. Verse 22, They came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. This is already encouraging. We don't know who the they were, but we do know that it's possible for people who can see to bring people who can't see to Jesus. People who need help. And we find this, see that several times in the Gospel record. A father brings his son who is demonized. Four friends bring a paralytic to Jesus. And you remember there was a big crowd there. They couldn't get in. And those friends cared enough about 
their paralyzed friend to not give up when they saw that big bunch of people around there. They pressed past the opposition. (coughs) And if we can, we're going to sometimes face opposition trying to get somebody to Jesus. And you know what they did? They went up on the roof and they, they really got radical and desperate. I mean, anytime you tear a hole out, I told somebody I've had I've had distractions before when I was preaching, but I never have had anybody tear the ceiling out above me. I mean, picture all that rubble and stuff coming down, and here comes this guy being lowered down. <laughs> That's distracting. <laughs> it's unbelievable, really. They were determined. They were determined and seeing their faith. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Well, they, whoever they were, they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. Now, we could stop right there again. Why is that significant? Because it's significant because they thought they knew what Jesus was going to do. They were what they really wanted was that he would heal him, but they asked him to touch him. Lord, to please touch him. They thought that they knew that how how the Lord did it. Why? Well, uh, because that's how the Lord often did do it. Let me give you some of them. Matthew eight three. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, "I am willing. Be cleansed." And uh, 8.15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on it. Matthew 9.29, he touched their eyes saying, be it done to you according to your faith. Mark 7.33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Well, it's obvious what Jesus will do, he's going to touch you. They thought... But what does he do? And I love this. It's so wonderful. Taking the blind man by the hand. As far as I know, there's never any other account of Jesus taking a blind man by the hand. Who's, if you were a blind man, whose hand would you rather hold on to as you're being led out of the city? He's holding on to Jesus' hand. It's it's just uh, it's amazing, and even as a Christian, you know, sometimes you don't know where you're going, and your the future's dark, but you have a sense that the Lord is holding on to your hand. Yeah, Amen. And this man, here he is in darkness. The Lord's got a hold of his hand. He knows something good is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's Jesus holding His hand. So, amazing, remarkable thing here. Jesus held His hand. The compassion and humility of the Lord Jesus. He could have given, could have had the friends lead Him out. Take Him on out there. Bring, bring, him, bring him along. He, didn't, he took a hold of Him Himself and led Him. He does this personally. <clears throat> and 
We see here again, we talked about this the very first message. We see here again the, the mark of an eyewitness. Why make up something like this? Jesus took him by the hand. You know, and bigger than that, why make up a miracle where Jesus seems too weak to get the job done in the first the first time he tries? <laughs> See, this is an eyewitness. People are looking at these things and they say, what we have seen and heard, that's what we're telling you. Yeah. That's enough too, isn't it? Yeah. You don't have to make up anything. That's right. They they were they were overwhelmed. They didn't understand most of it until later. And then it said that later they thought back and they remembered that. He, he said that. He said that. Well, taking him by the hand, he brought him out of the village. <clears throat> Fairly long walk, holding the hand of Jesus. Why did he take this man out of the village? He, he didn't take others outside the village. Now, there are some conjectures, and we'll talk about that later, but we're not told here why they took him why he took him out of the village but at any rate he has the man outside the village now and now he's going to touch his eyes wrong he doesn't do that what's he do he spits on his eyes <laughs> do we just read right over that how would you like me to spit in your eyes? <laughs> Jesus spits in his eyes. And he lays his hands on him. And the man was instantly healed. Wrong again. Jesus says, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men. I'm seeing them like trees walking about. And then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. So what are we to learn from this miracle? First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ deals with us as individuals. He deals with us as individuals. So there are at least four accounts of blind men being healed, detailed accounts of blind men being healed in the Gospels, and not a single one of them is the same. Does He deal with them the same? Every one of them is different. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is not a healing machine, and you put in your request and pull the handle. And men are not sick machines that need to be healed. They're individual people. They're not faceless machines that need to be fixed. Every single person is a unique person with unique memories, unique hurts, unique needs, yeah. unique pain, unique story, unique sins. And the Lord Jesus deals with us as individuals. When He died on the cross, He didn't die for a faceless multitude. Yeah, that's right. Paul says he, he loved me and gave Himself for me. I think He, he saw individual faces like yours and mine. Amen. I don't think He would have died for a faceless multitude. That's right. He died for individuals. His sheep. His sheep. I, I call my own sheep by name. So, 
Jesus deals with us as individuals. What that means is, is that any plan, so-called, or any four spiritual laws, or any Roman road, or anything, any steps, plan, program, go down the list, is false by definition. One size fits all won't work. Because he's dealing with us as individuals. You look in the Bible and show me two people that Jesus used the same plan on. He didn't. Plans are a substitute for the Holy Spirit and they're used for one reason, try to get results. And the results are not results in many cases, in most cases. What an encouraging thing this is. The Lord knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows your needs. He knows your fears. He knows your sins. He knows your struggles. He knows your problems. He knows the whole thing. And He will deal with you as an individual. He took this guy and he did different than he did with anybody else. They go, they get, they bring him to Jesus. They say, touch him, please touch him. He ignores that. (laughs) Takes him by the hand, takes. I know what I know this fellow, I know what he needs, I know exactly what he needs. I'm gonna to have to spit in his eyes <laughs> to help him out of my love. Mm-hmm. Proverbs fourteen ten, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. There's nobody that really understands, nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. <laughs> He knows. Second Chronicles six twenty-eight to thirty-one. God says, "If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, if there is locust or grasshopper, if their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing." his own affliction and his own pain and spreading his hands toward this house then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each man according to all his ways whose heart you know for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you have given to our fathers so Think of this. He takes you by the hand. He's the only one who knows. He's the only one who knows how to deal with you. And He takes you by the hand. So, first of all, we see that the Lord Jesus deals with men as individuals. Secondly, we see from this miracle that He deals with us as He sees best. Think of this man. He took him by the hand. He led him out. He spit on his eyes. He gave him partial healing. Then he gave him full full healing. And then he told him, don't go back through the city. Why? 
why why does he take him out of the village? You, several different conjectures, you know, maybe maybe to avoid the publicity, maybe or to be alone with the man, uh, like Jairus's daughter. He goes in there alone. Maybe a judgment on the village. The answer is we don't know why. We don't know why. Why why you know the Lord Jesus does not explain everything he does. Why spit on his eyes? Some people say, well, he went along with the popular ideas that saliva had some kind of healing power and he, that he'd use that to help this man's faith out. I don't think that. He didn't go along with, this, with the present-day superstition. Um, some people um, said that it was to, to give this man a feel for what he was doing. I think that's pretty far-fetched. And another, another one said, I'm talking about men's ideas here. There was the idea maybe they, maybe he spit in his eyes to unstick his eyelids. <laughs> Why did he spit in his eyes? Fact is, we don't know. Why heal in two stages? Well, surely to teach us something, we'll get to that. But why this man? Why, why not somebody else? Why this particular man? Did he do this? Some people say, well, because this man was weak in faith. And it happened in two stages because his faith was weak. Well, what about Lazarus? How much faith did he have to, be, to get... Or Malchus, whose ear was cut off. You know, how much faith did he have? So that, that doesn't fly. Why, why, did, why was it two stages? Um, we don't know. That's the bottom line. We don't know. Why, why tell him in verse 26 to go home and not go to in, enter the village? We... Um, there's different ideas on that. Uh, maybe to avoid the mobs. <clears throat> Some people think, well, he wanted him to meditate on what had happened. Uh, some people think maybe a judgment on the city. Again, we don't know. So, what's this point? First point, Jesus deals with us as individuals. The second point is, he deals with us as he sees best. Yeah. And he doesn't even explain why in many cases. He deals with us as he sees best. Some people, they seem to get converted so easily. I mean, it's just like God just... And other people, they have to be dragged through a knot hole and twisted <laughs> around and yeah. months and months. Yeah. Why? Oh, he was so much harder. That guy was so much harder. and He's got had a harder heart. But that's nonsense. Yeah. God does things as He sees best and He has reasons and we cannot figure them out and He doesn't tell us. In many cases, sometimes people are flooded with assurance immediately that their sins are forgiven. Sometimes they struggle with doubt and what have you and they're really truly converted. <clears throat> you think of people, sometimes people are delivered instantly from besetting sins. Samuel Hadley, over a hundred years ago, he he was an alcoholic in in uh, New York City, and when God saved him, instantly delivered. 
never had any temptation whatsoever. He had he opened a <clears throat> Water Street Mission where he worked solely with drunks. And these were, a lot of these men were respected men that had been businessmen and high up and they had gone down all the way down to the gutter. They'd lost everything, lost their families, lost and he said he said, here's a man gets converted and he begins to build his life back and he gets some money back and gets his home back and gets his family back and he'd go down again. And he said some of those men that happened to more than once until they were finally established and stable for the rest of their lives. Now Samuel Hadley was a Methodist. He believed you could lose your salvation. Samuel Hadley said, I believe God saved him from the beginning and he wouldn't let him go. <laughs> but why why is it that why, why these differences? Well God doesn't tell us. He deals with individuals. Some people have struggles with things that others don't face at all. Same way with families and so on. I've seen, I, I, there was one family that are, was very close to me, that some of the godliest parents I have ever seen in my life, and those kids were lined up, they were so encouraging, and one of them, one of them rebelled and went off. Figure that out, why? What's the difference? You know, this idea, you just do everything right and everything will go right with your kids or whoever it is, or here's a wife, if you just do everything right, your husband will be saved, you know. You don't, you, you can't, it's not that way. Right. And there, sometimes it takes time before God saves somebody. Yeah. We're supposed to keep on, that's why Jesus said, He said, it says he told them a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to grow weary. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes on and tells about a certain a judge who did not fear God nor man, and that widow kept coming to him and kept coming to him. Not only did he not fear God nor man, he self-consciously didn't fear God nor man. He said, he said, even though I don't fear God or man. I'm, this widow's going to wear me out. And Jesus chose a widow for that parable because she had no clout whatsoever. She just kept coming back, kept coming. And shall not... Hear what, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And shall not God avenge His own elect who cry to Him night and day? Yes. Though it seems like He's taking a long time, He's bearing with Him. He says, I tell you, He'll avenge them speedily. Well, how could it be speedy if it takes a long time? It's the same way, though the vision tarry, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not tarry. Well, if it tarries, what do you mean it will not tarry? It'll be right on time. He knows what he's doing. That's the thing. He deals with us as individuals, and he knows what he's doing. He deals with us as he sees best. Hebrews 11 talks about this, doesn't it? It might be good to turn to that. Hebrews 11, <clears throat> 33. Let's start reading at 33. 
who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now, all these people had the same faith. So what's it say? Well, verse 34, it says they escaped the edge of the sword by faith. Verse 37 says that they were put to death with the sword by faith. Yep. What is it? It's saying that if we will walk with God and do and believe and follow Him, sometimes the opposite, you know, this woman did such and such and her husband got saved. This woman did the same thing and her husband divorced her. This is reality. But the big thing is, is to walk by faith and put everything in God's hands. Amen. Amen. Dan Smith was a missionary to China, and uh, his account, the account of his life, is a is a great encouragement. One of those books that I mentioned, brother, The Pilgrim of the Heavenly Way. But Dan Smith was there in China, and he was with his fellow missionary and he had <clears throat> impressed upon him so powerfully in his heart go upstairs go upstairs and it was so powerful that he did he, he went up the steps when he got upstairs he heard the gunshots and his fellow missionary was dead now you look at that and you say man that Dan Smith must be a real man of God now, now that other guy I don't know it could be just the other way around. Yeah. That other guy may have been more godly and more faithful than Dan. See, the Lord deals with us as individuals and He deals with us as He sees best. Amen. And He doesn't explain it. In many cases, He doesn't explain it. And so we look at this thing and we say, Lord, I'm in Your hands. I'm in your hands. But by your grace, I'm going to follow and obey you. I'm going to believe you. Amen. I'm going to believe you even if you spit in my eyes. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Two more things I want to say while I'm on this point. And that is, we should not doubt the reality of our experience just because it does not match somebody else's experience. Yes. You can look at, you know, this guy could meet up with the blind Bartimaeus and, you know, and well, I must not, I mean, that's not the way it happened to me. And, uh, you know, here's the testimony. We shouldn't doubt the reality of our experience just because of somebody else's experience. 
The Lord knows what He's doing. The big question is, can I see or not? That's the big question. And the other side of the coin is, we should not judge other people's experiences by our own and lay down rules about how God has to work in their life. You know, the man born blind, we looked at that in John 9, how the Lord healed him. He made clay out of the spittle and rubbed it on his eyes, said, go wash. Suppose the man from John 9 meets the man from Mark 8. (laughs) That's not how it happened. He has to make clay. Old Vance Abner, the old Baptist preacher, he said two denominations were born right then. The the Mudites and the (laughs) Anti-Mudites. We shouldn't judge other people's experience. We shouldn't judge our experience. The question is, can I see? Third thing to learn here, the Lord Jesus sometimes heals His people by stages. Beloved, God's telling us something by the way this miracle took place. Why else would He be pleased to do the miracle like this? It was not because this man didn't have enough faith. We have all kinds of examples of people that didn't have enough faith and he just did it. He did this on purpose. He did it it on purpose to teach us something. The one who raised a man who had been dead four days, don't you think he would have been able to heal this man without going through stages? He's telling us something. And what He's telling us is that sometimes God does something real for us, but is not immediately complete. He does something real, but it's not complete. And you can think of the church as a whole during this church age right now in many ways. We all see men like trees walking. When He returns, we'll see Him as He is, and He'll finish it, finish it up. We'll see everything clearly. So in a way, it fits all of us. <clears throat> a miracle has been done, and He has touched us and touched our lives, but none of us can see perfectly yet. But when the perfect comes, He'll touch us again. And we will know even as we have been known. Same thing is true on the individual level. Haven't you experienced this in different ways in your own life? You know God has done something real. And you know it's God and you know you've been changed. You know you're not what you once were. But you still feel the need for God to do something more. This is so encouraging. We, don't, we just need to be honest. We don't need to pretend, you know, oh, I see perfectly. No, be honest with the Lord. I, Lord, I, it's still a little fuzzy. I know you've done something, but it's still a little fuzzy. Please, yeah. please do more. Please do more. Fourth thing, this is the last. The Lord Jesus is able to complete the work that He has begun. 
he's able to complete it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You remember there in Zechariah, <clears throat> that, that vision of the temple. The hands of Zerubbabel, you know, they have laid the foundation and he's, but he says, he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I think it's a spiritual um, picture of who's the, where's the real temple? That's why they stoned Stephen to death. He said, talking about God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. They said, he's always speaking against this holy place. They worship that temple. The real temple is the church. And he told those Corinthians, he says, you are God's, God's building God's temple in Ephesians. He's dwelling in us by the Spirit. We're the temple. So this massive thing with all those massive stones, it was the lightweight thing. It was the shadow. (laughs) And the real heavy thing, the heavyweight thing, is the reality of the church. But the Lord Jesus has done the work. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And He will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, whatever that last one is, that last person. You know, He said, Lord, there's still room. That's where we're at right now. There still is room. Amen. That's a wonderful thing right there. There's still, there's still some places around the table. And none of them are going to be empty. But he will finish it. If you think of a builder, why does a builder give up? <clears throat> well, he gives up for lack of resources. Sometimes you run out of money. And uh, I've seen buildings in some of those communist countries that they would have really been something. <laughs> if they're not. <laughs> lack of resources, something unforeseen comes up. Well, that's not a problem with God. That something unforeseen would come up, or change of plans, or too much opposition. The Lord Jesus will finish the work that He's begun. <clears throat> How does it go? The work which His goodness began, the arm of His strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. <clears throat> Things future. Or things that are now, or all things below or above, can make him his purpose forgo or sever my soul from his love. So that's where we are. I'm glad he healed this man by stages. I'm glad glad he didn't see everything clearly right off the bat. And I'm glad he deals with us as individuals and that there's not a plan cut out thing that he tries to force on everybody. Everybody's got different needs. Everybody's got different pains. Everybody's got their own affliction. But it says God will hear that. He'll hear their prayer. Whoever, whatever, whatever person, whatever the affliction, each man knowing his own for the Lord knows the hearts of all men. He alone. Amen.